it's a great uh, honour to be with you and to speak with you. I'm Morris. I'm um, one of the elders of the church here in Ipswich and uh, also part of the apostolic team for relational mission. I have a particular responsibility for uh, invigorating the mission of God on the mainland of Europe. Um, although I have a deep interest in the mission of God everywhere <laughs> in our own nation and in the other continents of the world. Um, although you may find I keep leaning and overbalancing towards Europe. If that's not your particular call, don't feel in any way uh, disqualified by what I'm saying. Um, but that's where our particular interest is at the moment. Uh, but the principles apply for you wherever God is sending you and whatever he may have for you. So I'm not from a, a church family, um, biological family. My, my family are not believers. Um, and in my teenage years, when I was 17, uh, I was pretty uh, broken, messed up uh, teenager. And, and Jesus rescued me. <laughs> and he saved me. He saved me from myself. He saved me from my sin and uh, reunited me with my heavenly father. And, uh, and then a little bit later, I was being baptized in water. I was baptized in the spirit, just overwhelmed by the love of God. I mean, I think the overwhelming emotion for me when I consider the presence of God is one of relief, to be honest. I was absolutely <laughs> relieved that this isn't the real world, this isn't the real life that I'm born for. I'm not from this place, I'm from another place. And what I see in myself, you know, when I keep stuffing it up, that's not really me. You know, that's the me that I'm trying to work my way out of because I have this beautiful, precious identity in Christ. I have a Father in heaven who loves me. And, uh, and so just, uh, you know, just to worship God, I just find myself always just overwhelmed with a wonderful relief. You know, Jesus is coming again. The injustices of this world would all be addressed. You know, what we just heard from Matt about this. Oh, it's just beautiful what Matt was sharing about. No more tears and uh, no more, you know, enmity between peoples and so on. What, oh, what a destiny we got, hey? What an amazing thing to consider, being in that time and in that place with my king and not living with sort of insecurities and weaknesses in myself, knowing that I've been perfected in Christ and with all the peoples of the world, enjoying being together, celebrating our diversity and the massive variety of our creator God. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful thing, isn't it? Hey, I hope you're looking forward to that. Some people have a fairly dull view of heaven. I think it's going to be pretty good. That's my, that's my considered assessment. Um, so, yeah, so I, I really felt that, that God was kind to me in, uh, in rescuing me in the first place and in, in uh, bringing me into his presence, in uh, uniting me with his son that I would share the adventures of Jesus. And then he blew me away with a vision for his bride and for his church. And I think I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from some years ago. I know, I know I look devastatingly youthful and handsome now, but uh, I'm quite uh, getting a bit older, and my Christian journey began quite some years ago when uh, actually in our nation even, um, expressions of healthy church, just experiencing what we've experienced this morning was a relatively rare occurrence in our nation. It remains a very rare occurrence in the nations of mainland Europe. But just to gather to Christ in the presence of God and rejoice in our Father 
in the way that we've experienced today. This was not something that was so common. Um, a lot of people were tolerating a very, very um, well-meant but uh, quite inadequate expression of church life. And so it was a wonder to me when God started to speak to me and reveal to me what he has in his heart for his own people and for his own bride, not just for our nation, but for every nation. And I just want to share something of that with you uh, in, in, and in the expectation that you two will be caught up in just the wonder that God has for his uh, church, that Christ has for his bride, and of the imperative on us to multiply these Christ-centered communities across this nation and across the nations of the earth, that we will take this and multiply this. This is uh, what is in the heart of God. So I want us to look together at Isaiah 62. I'm going to pull out some verses. You may have seen them on the, uh, the, over, the screen behind me. Um, but if you do have a Bible or uh, uh, some form of text, uh, keep it open in front of you as we, we look at this together because this is uh, a scripture that's been particularly precious to me. When we read, uh, this is typical of sort of restoration scripture. When we read some of these scriptures, uh, particularly Old Testament prophets, they can be read at many levels. They can be read by the people that were reading it and hearing it for the first time. It would have had a relevance to them and an application to them. Uh, but also it can be read uh, as uh, significant for ethnic Israel, that there are promises and destinies for ethnic Israel that we can read in these scriptures. But also we can read these things in terms of us as spiritual Israel because we are uh, co-heirs of the promises. The Bible tells us this, that we are co-heirs of these promises. And, um, uh, that, you know, we are the children of Abraham by faith, it tells us in Galatians 3, and inheritors of the promises of Israel. So we can read some of these scriptures and what it speaks of Zion and Jerusalem. And there's an application to Zion as the universal redeemed people of God, which includes us, hallelujah. And also um, when it speaks of Jerusalem, the city of God, is the, the universal church of God. We're the living stones, the dwelling place of God. So we can read these things at many, many levels. And I want us to be reading this today in terms of what this means for us. So let's look at uh, Isaiah 62. I'll start from the beginning. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your, shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. He's talking to us here, right? Take no rest. Give him no rest. 
How often do you get permission to nag God? Okay? Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. And then through to verse 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out. A city not forsaken. This is God's vision for his redeemed people. His church. This is his view of who we are. It doesn't always feel like that in 21st century Britain. It has to be said. The church is seen as forsaken. The church is seen as irrelevant. The church is seen as redundant and obsolete. And even the danger... You know, professional sportsmen can't speak out their perhaps particularly conservative views without finding they're losing their jobs these days. You know, the church is seen as something as a bit of an irritant in our culture. And we must not allow ourselves to be molded or shaped or bent out of shape by what the world thinks of the church. We must allow ourselves to be shaped only by what God thinks of his church. And in these words here, we catch something of God's vision for his church. And when I read these words, it blew me away and continues to do so today. So let's have a look at this. His vision for his church is breathtaking. His vision for his church is huge. Okay? And we're going to be looking at the visibility of the church. We're going to be looking at the global mission of the church. We're going to be looking at the royal destiny of the church. Let's start with the visibility of the church. We see it in these verses. The righteousness of the church will shine out like the dawn. Righteousness, we know, you know, the, the simple definition it means that we are right with God. And the fact that we are right with God will be visible to everybody. You know, the dawn is hard to miss. Okay? When the sun rises, everybody sees it. And the righteousness of God on you as an individual in your workplace or college or wherever it is that you spend your day-to-day routines and the righteousness of God on the healthy church of Jesus Christ will be obvious to the world, okay, like the dawn, okay, what we are as a countercultural community, modeling something of what it means to gather to the sovereign leadership of God in our day. We're looking to build these communities together that are an outpost of heaven. Now, sometimes people get a little bit crazy about that. We're not in heaven yet, right? Okay? You may have noticed. All right? But we're trying to bring the, rule, the sovereign rule and reign of God down to earth. We're saying, no, we want to learn what it means to live together under the sovereign rule and reign of God. Yeah? Uh, but we're going to stuff it up. You know, in heaven, the kingdom is unopposed. Here, the kingdom is opposed. We have an enemy. Uh, you know, so there's a struggle sometimes to outwork these things. We are a work in progress, each of us individually. You know, they, they say, if you want to join the perfect, you want to find the perfect church, don't join it. You know, because uh, as soon as we join it, it becomes less than perfect. You know, so we're not expecting that it's going to be exactly like heaven on earth. I think that's a bit naive. 
But what we're trying to do is build and work out a countercultural community among us, where as best we know how, we're trying to conform ourselves to the rule and reign of our king. And so this is how God wants us to live. And this is how we're going to live it. And we build this countercultural community that will shine like the dawn. The salvation of the church will shine out like a blazing torch. I always think about the Olympics when we, we you know, the, the, when the Olympics start, they light this torch and it blazes day and night throughout the, the tournament and so on. The sense that the salvation of God is going to blaze. <laughs> the salvation of God in us is going to be visible to everybody. The, the evidence of transformed lives. That's really what a, a blazing salvation looks like. You know, hands up for Jesus is great, but actually a blazing torch is people seeing my life has been transformed. And people looking at you and thinking, well, you're not the way that... I knew you once before you uh, met those weird Christian people, and now it seems you're very, very different. Well, that's because I have been saved, and the salvation is transforming my life. The saving power of Jesus is is transforming my life. It's obvious. It's a blazing torch. These are the things that will be apparent. Nations will see the righteousness of the church. Kings will see the glory of the church, is what it says in these verses. What else does God say about his church? There's so much more we could say, just very briefly. God sees the church as the light of the world. It's the praise of the earth. It's a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Jesus so loved the church, he gave his life up for her. And it is the chosen dwelling place of God to be among his people, to be with his church. The church will no longer be called deserted or desolate. The church will, no, will now be called sought after. The city no longer deserted. The church will be the praise of the whole earth. This is God's vision for his people. Is this our vision? Sometimes we can get a bit uh, cynical or complacent about church. You know, it's just some meetings we go to or whatever. Just think of how God sees his people. I, I want to be in line with that. I don't want to be in line with sort of worldly wise cynicism. I don't want to be the one that's forever criticizing. You know, I want to be in line with what is God, what do you think about this? And he's saying, this is amazing. I love it. Yeah, we have to understand that your church, any church that considers itself obedient to Christ is the best thing that's happened in your town or your city in all of history. In all of history, nothing better has happened in your town or your village or your city than the people of God who've been saved by the transforming grace through Jesus Christ gathering together and saying, now we're going to live the way Jesus wants us to live. There is nothing more significant happening in your community. Believe me. Okay? And this is, God's thrilled. Well, we want to take God's word for this. Not our, you know, Satan would deceive us. It's not significant. It's a bunch of hypocrites. You know? Oh, those people, I went to church and I got really hurt once. Yeah, don't go again. Stay away. Well, we're not perfect. All right? But we want to be shaped and molded by God's vision for his church because God is hugely invested in what we are as his people. He thinks it's amazing that he's got to show it to the kings and the nations of the earth. And so look at this. Look at this. Yeah? I'd want to show what I've just experienced in the last hour in this room to the kings of the nations. And so look at this. 
These are people reaching out with their hearts to Jesus and learning what it means to be the people of God together. Secondly, the global mission of the church. Nations will see the righteousness of the church. Kings will see the glory of the church. The church will be the praise of the whole earth. It will be the mountain that is raised up above all mountains. Now, it's really helpful to, again, just to get our heads a little bit around this. We know that Abraham was called to be a blessing to, a blessing to all peoples on the earth. You read that in Genesis 12. God says to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So you think, well, that's a great uh, promise for Abraham. But Paul later references this very, very, this is a very, very significant verse in, uh, in Galatians a little bit later. In, Gen- in Galatians 3 and verse 7, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's why we can read these promises and see an application to us. We are co-heirs of the promises. We're inheritors of the promises. Together with the people of God, we've been engrafted in, the Gentiles engrafted in to those who are redeemed of the, uh, of the Jews, that we can share with them this inheritance. We are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So Paul is referring back to this verse in Genesis 12, when God was defining the call of Abraham to be the blessing to all nations, and Paul is saying that's when the gospel was announced. That was the point at which God announced that he wanted to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and that we are the inheritors of that promise. We are inheritors of that global promise that through us together with abraham all the nations shall be blessed you are a blessing to the nations okay now for some of us that might seem particularly relevant if we live in very diverse and multicultural uh, cities and towns for some of us who may come from some more far-flung rural areas we may feel well you know uh, it's not such a multicultural expression. That does not in any way uh, disqualify you from fully, wholeheartedly owning this promise. Okay? All right? We are the seeds of Abraham by faith and inheritors of the promises. We are witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is the vision of God for his people. Is this our vision? Is this burning with you? Now, I've, for many, many years, I ministered in, I've, I've come from London, I'm a London boy, but God called me to the, uh, <laughs> the villages of rural Norfolk. And uh, for, for 20 years, I was buried in, in the bowels of, of Norfolk, uh, <laughs> planting, <laughs> planting churches and raising disciples. And this was very dear to us. And we, we used to say a little strap line for us was Norfolk for the Nations. I think, well, Norfolk is as, as, as sort of monocultural as you could possibly get in Britain. You know, really, if you wanted to mix with the other cultures, you went to the kebab shop or something, you know, that's about it. But we just know we, God's put the nation on our hearts. And if, you, if you've got the, the nations on your heart, the nations will come to you. The nations will come to you. And we have people coming to us from Latvia and Serbia and China and America and all sorts of places, Mexico. And they were able to uh, 
serve us, we were able to serve them, send them back into their different contexts. If the nations are in your heart, they will come to you, okay? We are called to change the expression of Christianity in the world today. That's one of the prophetic calls over our global movement, New Frontiers. Relational mission is a movement within a movement. And uh, New Frontiers is called to change the expression of Christianity in the world today. I've just come from a holiday in Tuscany, and um, we were in Florence looking at the uh, magnificent cathedral. It took 150 years to build, absolutely mesmerizing. It's a mesmerizing structure, phenomenal. It's overwhelming. Your senses are saturated when you look at this. And I'm stood there thinking, is this what God wanted? I get irritated. I'm thinking, really? I mean, I, I know these people were trying as best they knew how to honor God and please God. But I don't remember reading anywhere where Jesus said that he wanted us to do that, <laughs> to build these magnificent structures. I can, res- I can respect them and admire them, but it's got nothing to do with authentic New Testament Christianity as I understand it. It's just got nothing to do with it. And, uh, and I'm just thinking, you know, that we went to around the corner and there's a church, you know, with a massive shrine to Mary. I'm thinking, is that what God wanted? I don't know. You know well, I do know, actually. But, uh, <laughs> and I went to, you know, to Spain and uh, with the prayer team to Malaga and just reflecting on the fact that, that Spain has never known a reformation or a revival. You know, we in our nation here in Britain, we've known a reformation that broke us away from all of the disfigured thinking about the church and the state. And revival after revival, to be honest, I don't know what we've done. We haven't done anything to deserve this, but God has visited our nation again and again. And you're down in the south of Spain and thinking these people have never known a reformation and they've never known a revival. And I'm called to change the expression of Christianity in the world today. You know, I'm in uh, Rome, standing by Constantine's Arch. Constantine, born in uh, Nish in Serbia, as it happens. And uh, apparently his mother, according to Colchester, planted the first church in Colchester, but I don't actually believe that. But they still have a statue of her on top of the town hall. But I'm not absolutely convinced that Helen did uh, actually plant the first church in Colchester. But Constantine... <coughs> Uh, in AD 312, had a vision of uh, Jesus while he was in uh, a battle and then committed himself and his soldiers to Jesus and won the battle. And as a consequence of that, he made Christianity the religion of the whole of the Roman Empire. And so began 1,500 years of Christendom, which has either blessed or blighted the advance of the kingdom, depending on your point of view. Okay. Some people think it's a blessing that, you know, the state inherited or adopted Christianity as the state religion. I might have another view. <laughs> I was trying to leave it sort of tense for a little bit longer, but I couldn't really. Okay. I had to blurt out my own convictions on this. I think it's the worst thing that happened for the advance of the kingdom. Some people say, oh, but Morris, you know, they were able to carry it to the corners of the Roman Empire. Yeah, but they carried something very, very disfigured in terms of what authentic Christianity really is. Because if you then just invade a nation, as we colonially have done in our own history, and then tell them that that you're going to be a Christian nation now, otherwise we're going to shoot you, um, that doesn't leave much room for apostles. That makes them fairly redundant, really. (laughs) You don't need to send apostles on apostolic mission when you just send your army and say, okay, we've come and you are now a Christian nation. Oh, thank you very much. You know? 
If you then say that the head of your sovereign state or your king, as we've done in our own nation, go to Westminster Hall and you will see the evidence of it there. If you're saying that they carry and bear the divine will of God, you don't need any prophets anymore. Who needs a prophet when the king just says, I am the divine will of God for our nation? And you've done away, now we've done away with two-fifths of the Ephesians 4 ministries. We can get rid of another one, okay? Everybody that gets born, go to church and get christened, and you're a Christian. We don't need any evangelists anymore. Let's get rid of them. We don't need evangelists because everybody just has to go to church. So can you christen my baby? I say, right, you're in the family of God. Job done. So for 1,500 years, we pretty much did away with three-fifths of Ephesians 4 ministries, which are the provision of Christ for the church to attain to the whole stature of Christ and become whole and mature. And thankfully largely through uh, the Wesleyan revival, but various other factors as well, we began to dismantle that. And so we've been on a process over the last 150 or 200 years of recovering authentic New Testament Christianity, including the full role of evangelists, prophets, and apostles among us. And we're still fighting for apostles, to be honest, uh, in the evangelical world today, for people to understand this is the provision of Christ. And so... That's been our journey here in Britain. On the mainland of Europe, they are, I, I want to say this respectfully, I don't want to say, because there's a lot of very, very good things happening, but pro- think of it proportionately, they are quite some way behind. Uh, you know, because the grip of Catholicism has been much, much greater, that the, uh, they have not enjoyed the unmerited sovereign mercy of outpourings of the presence of God that we've known. And so their understanding of the expression of Christianity is very, very disfigured in the main. And so I can walk through Italy, as I have been, and many, many people will tell me that they uh, you know, believe God and, and uh, would consider themselves to be Christians. But, and I don't want to, it's not my job to judge. I'm not saying, well, you know, I don't think you really are, you know. It's not really my job. But I'm looking at, at what God has revealed to us the word of God, the presence of God, the family of God, the mission of God. Simple. New Testament Christianity. And thinking, I just want these nations to taste this. Because I don't think that many of these people who would consider themselves to be Christians have tasted what we've tasted in the last hour. Just to be lost in the presence of God. Just to be overwhelmed by the wonder of our own salvation. Just to know that it's entirely contingent on the obedience of Christ and not at all on my performance or how many times I go to Mass, or whatever, you know. I've got, I have got to change the expression of Christianity. I've got to change, I've got to carry the authentic gospel, simple gospel, to town after town and nation after nation. Wherever God will take me, I will go. What am I? Who am I? I mean, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter. God's called me to do it, you know. So thirdly, the royal destiny of the local church. Okay, The church is the focus of intense royal activity. I love this. We're the royal household of God. Yeah? Royal priesthood. Brothers and sisters to a king. The king of kings. And these verses in Isaiah 62 are just shot through with this. You know, we're a crown, a diadem, a bride fit for the king, 
a royal household. Once we were aliens and outcasts. Now we're fellow citizens with God's people. It says that in Ephesians 2, 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. The royal purposes of the church. God's view of us is breathtaking, you know? And we now feel like aliens and strangers in this world, and so we should. Don't be surprised. Friends, if those that you engage with in the world see you as a bit odd, <laughs> you know? What? You believe that? What? You believe this? Well, it's because I don't come from here, actually. I come from another household. I'm of another kingdom. I'm of another nation. I'm of another blood, actually. You know, my, this is my blood family, the blood of Jesus. This is my blood family now. These are my blood brothers and my blood sisters. I don't come from this place. So we're going to feel like aliens in the world. I think sometimes it can be a bit of a mistake to try too hard to get with it with the world. You know, oh, be, of course we've got to make our message very contemporary and relevant, but I don't want to be like the world. I mean, there's this famous moment when David Cameron stood up in Parliament. I don't even remember this. It was about some vote to do with bishops or whatever. And he said, it's about time that the church got in step with the world. And I thought, it's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> Absolutely the last thing. When I read, you know, uh, uh, Paul in Timothy, he's saying the world's going from bad to worse. Why would I want to get in step with the world? Yeah? I'm with you, Jesus. You own me. I'll follow you. I'll go where you're going. The church is the focus of intense royal activity. Okay, once we were no people, now we are a royal people. Now we are a bride made ready for the king of kings, clothed with dignity and purpose. Amazing that God has bestowed this on us. I've told this story a few times. I was at a Bible college, and I was just there. On, I was on my first day, in fact, and they asked me to speak to all the students. And I said, well, I'm the newbie here. I'm not even, this is not even anything to do with New Frontiers. And they said, no, but he said, all the students here, there were 300 Bible students. He said, all of them here are here at this missions college because they have decided the church is the biggest obstacle to mission. And they've come here to try and learn what it means to be on the mission of God in spite of the church. He said, but we've heard you're from New Frontiers. And that you actually feel the church is central to the mission of God, and we want you to speak to these people. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks a lot. I had about 20 minutes' notice to prepare. So into the lion's den I went. I just talked about two things. I talked about the bride of Christ. Jesus could take any bride. What bride does he choose? He chooses the church. That's what he thinks of the church. And then I spoke about the four guys who climbed up onto the roof of a building to break open the roof, to lower down their distressed and uh, crippled friend to be close to Jesus. I said, that is how we should feel about the body of Christ. That's, that's, what, that's what our view should be of the body of Christ, not apologizing for the body of Christ, not excusing the body of Christ, but actually breaking down walls to get our friends 
to be close to the body of Christ because where two or three are gathered, he'll be here. There was a time, in, in, again, in my youth when we used to have to say to people, don't look at the church, look to Jesus because the church was a bit... <laughs> I don't say that anymore. I say, you want to find Jesus? Come to the church. Not to this building. To you. I wanted anybody that I know to meet Jesus. I'd want them to have just to bottle five minutes of your worship and just drop in the middle of that. Just say, come and meet Jesus. Just see what it means. See what it's done. Yeah. So we are God's chosen instrument for the blessing and salvation of the whole world. Amen? That's you and me. Don't look anywhere else. All right? And we... We're on a journey, and we're running as hard as we can, and we want you to run up and catch up with us and overtake us, please. But we're running hard. My generation are running hard, all right? And we want you to start running harder for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Jesus gave his life for the church. Yeah, he, just, he laid it all down, and we can lay our lives down for him. Yeah? Now we are a little flock, but then we will join with a throng from all nations. There will be a marriage. The bride and the bridegroom will be united. There will be a feast. You're going to see this. It's going to be a glorious day. The church will arise in all her splendor and take her place with her bridegroom. And we're going to see that. So what should our response to this be? So we've spoken about the uh, God's vision for his church, a huge vision it's uh, about the visibility of the church. We've read about that in Isaiah 62, the global mission of the church, the royal destiny of the church. So what should our response to this be? Well, firstly, I would appeal to us that we would align our vision for the church with God's vision. I think I've made that point, hopefully, that if we have a lower vision of the church, I would appeal to you, don't... Don't settle for anything less than God's vision for his people. Don't settle for anything less. Okay? You may think it, you know, the church is not, uh, you know, it, 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 not relevant to society anymore. It's not cool. You know, I don't choose to be who I want to be with. I have to hang out with all these weird people. You know, um, no, this is God's redeemed. Okay? This is God's beautiful household. And he has astonishing ambitions for his people. So let's align ourselves with God's vision. Give yourself no rest. I love this. This, this verse has been so important to me. Give God no rest until we see this accomplished. I just feel this is like a, an irritant in my soul. If ever I find myself settling, if ever I find myself thinking, well, oh, we've, we've not done too badly. We've done all right. You know, We've done better than those guys down the street. Hey. <laughs> and all those sort of godless thoughts. I think, no, I am not going to rest until I see this outworked as far as I can in my lifetime. You know, I'm not going to see it fully outworked that the church will be the praise of the whole earth and that uh, nations will, uh, kings will flock to see what God is doing. I may not live to see that in this life, but I'm going to give my last breath and give God no rest in order to see this accomplished. And so I'm going to say, Lord God, I'm going to be in line with your vision. I'm going to give myself to this. I'm going to be one of these watchtower people. I love this verse where it says, you know, on the watchtower, those on the watchtower, they're looking ahead to the horizon and saying to people, look at what's coming. 
Look at what's coming. Look at our destiny. Look at where we're going. Look at what God has in store for us. I'm not going to rest on this. I'm not going to look backwards and think, well, the church is a bit of a mess, you know. I'm going to look forwards and think, this is where the church is going. And I'm going to direct everybody's attention towards that so that we will rise up in faith and be the people of God for our generation and carry the purposes of God forward to the ends of the earth. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep the vision before the people. I'm going to pray. I'm going to warn. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to keep watch. I'm on the watchtower. So let's align our vision with God's vision. And then let's build the church. I love these words in uh, chapter 62 again, verse 10. Pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up the highway, remove the obstacles, remove the stones, raise up a banner, a signal for the nations, build the church. Maybe you're called to go, maybe you're called to stay. If you're called to stay, build the church, build something beautiful here, build something that is a signal to the peoples, build something so that when people do come among you, they'll catch a vision for the nations and will go. Build something here that will wake up your community to think something's happening. It's like a dawn. Something's happening in the middle of our town. Build the church. It's beautiful. There's nothing like it on the face of the earth. Build something beautiful where you are. Healthy churches. Make, look for health and all the attributes of health. Learn about the word of God. You know, read intensively and extensively. Don't rely on someone else that knows what the Bible says. Find out for yourself. Sign up for the different training programs that you know that we have available. Sign up for ID. Sign up for lead. Sign up for shepherd if you're an emerging elder. All of these things. Let's saturate ourselves with the word of God. Let's saturate ourselves with the presence of God. Let's not settle. Let's not just think, I'm just going to turn up and sing a few songs and go home. You think, no, I, I want to encounter the living God. And I'm going to come and I'm going to bring my contribution. I'm going to come in my pockets full with things that I've read and that I've been inspired by that I can share either with an individual in the meeting or maybe perhaps from the microphone, perhaps if it will be helpful for everybody. But I'm going to come prepared because I want to encounter the living God and I want everybody else in the room to encounter God as well. Yeah? Where, who are we if the presence of God is not with us? Who are we? How will people know that we're God's people if his presence isn't with us? And then we're going to say to our friends and neighbors, just come and taste this. Just come here. What? This doesn't look like a church. It's a grotty old office block with carpet tiles that have been soaked several times by a leaking baptistry. (laughs) Yeah, but the presence of God is here because the people of God are here. Just come and taste this. Just Just come and taste this. Let God do his work. And then people will say, ooh, surely your God is among you. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So let's build the church where we are. Let's build according to the wisdom of God. Okay, there's so much I could say on this, but, you know, the church, if you've ever given up on the church, I'm appealing to you. There isn't a plan B. Okay? <laughs> okay? Christ will come back for his bride. Okay, and he gave his life for the church. And he said, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So if you've lost a bit of confidence in the church, I appeal to you, make your peace with God and get in line with his vision for the church. Because there's no plan B. So how can you get involved? Well, you can send, all right? Now maybe, 
I particularly want to speak in a moment to those who feel that God is calling them to go, okay? And that is precious. It is as precious to stay and to build and to send, okay? So how can you send? Well, number one, I've already said, build the church, build something beautiful here. And so when we were up in Norfolk, in a market town of 6,000 people, we built a church that people from many nations came to see because they could understand it and relate to it and think, you know what, we can work these principles out back in our own nation. And so that one small church in Norfolk was a model church to many nations. It's a remarkable thing. And I'm saying wherever you are, build the church, okay? Develop a heart for the nations. We have a, a life group here. I don't know what uh, small group structure you have in your church, but we uh, operate in a sort of life group structure where once a term we advertise a certain number of different um, uh, groups with different themes and priorities. And so for the last few terms, I've run a Heart for Nations group and the people will gather to my living room and we will be focused on one of our pioneering church plant situations somewhere in relational mission, whether it will be in, in this nation, but particularly, obviously, in other nations. And we will... Um, <clears throat> so the last one we did was Serbia, as it happens, with dear old Vlada. And uh, we, uh, we theme the evening. I try to find the worst possible traditional Serbian folk music that I can. So when people arrive, they can get into the vibe, acclimatize. And we make some Serbian snacks or whichever is uh, the equivalent for whichever nation we're focusing on. Then we uh, will have a little bit of uh, update on what's happening in that mission, a bit of information about the state of Christianity in that nation. And then we do a live Skype call with... Um, in this case, with, with Vlada, who leads our pioneering work in Serbia. And we just say, update us, give us some prayer points. We will pray for you, and then you can pray for us. And that's how we spend the evening. And at the end of it, Vlada said to me, so I'm just being uh, obedient to what Vlada said. He said, Vlada, tell everybody about this. He said, because it was so encouraging. It's so helpful. Folks, it's so easy. And uh, we've done it with nations. I've done it, we've done it with 20 or 30 nations now. They love it. They love that you care enough to spend an evening to just think about their mission, to give them a call, hear about how things are going, and then send your love and prayers over the Skype waves or whatever they are. And uh, they're blessed. It's easy. All of you can do that. Um, raise much money. Okay? <laughs> this is what we can do. Okay? It costs money. This mission costs money. And I just want to call out to some people here today. You may not feel called to go to another nation. You may not feel called to be sort of fully involved with um, you know, church ministry. But God has given you a talent to raise money. There are some people here that God has given you a talent to make money for the mission, for the kingdom. It's your particular gift. It's your particular talent and uh, maybe you're not seeing the fruit of it yet, but you know that in the years to come that God has gifted you to do this and that you're on a trajectory that is going to make much wealth and release much wealth for the mission of God in the years going forward. Okay? I just want to honor that. I just want to say how valuable and important that is. Okay? I don't need your money. Okay? As you've noticed, I'm not a fashion icon. I don't drive a particularly expensive car, <laughs> okay? It's not for me. It's not for us. It's for the people we're trying to reach. 
Okay? And we need people who are talented and gifted in raising much wealth for the mission of God. Okay? So I'm putting down a seed here that I'm praying will bear fruit in the years to come as your careers and uh, trajectories develop and emerge. Uh, maybe now you do, don't have much wealth to share, but that as you outwork the call of God in your lives, you'll find, you know what? God has given me a gift for this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw money into the kingdom of God. Okay, build a relationship with a church plant is a little bit like, you know, if, if, if your church is involved with church planting, that's great. If not, well, then we can connect you with one of these church plants. Build a relationship with them. Build a bridge. Go and visit them. Invite them over. Host them over here when there's conferences, things like New Day. You know, when people coming from other nations, they don't have the sort of events that we have that they can send their young people to. Now, my, young, my children have benefited more than I can ever say from events like New Day. And yet I'm sending families out to the far-flung corners of Europe and beyond, and they don't have access to those sort of opportunities. Well, you can host them. So one of our churches is hosting a bunch of young people from one of our churches in America because they, they can't bring their tents over on the plane, okay? They can't drive with their caravans. So they come over, and we say, well, we'll find the accommodation for you. You can be part of our uh, group here. This is one of the ways you can serve the mission of God in other nations. So can I encourage you to consider that? Or for the uh, leadership conference next year, who can we invite from the church plant to come? We can host them and take care of them and look after them, maybe even pay for them so that that's not going to be a burden on them. Build a relationship with the church plant. Invite and host pioneers and so on and so forth. Help them feel connected. We're not called relational mission for no reason. We do believe that if we have relationship and purpose together that that's where the the dynamite happens you know if we just have a relationship and no purpose then it's not going anywhere if we just have purpose and no relationship it becomes very dry very quickly whereas if we're with friends together this is one of the part of the beauty of an event like this and i pray and trust that you've taken the opportunity just to look over the wall if you like from your uh, immediate circle of friends and try and build some connection with other people who've got the same heart as you this is your family. It's great. And to be able to do that for people who are on a pioneering mission in other nations is so precious. So you can send and you can go. Okay? There's all sorts of ways that you can go. There's short-term mission opportunities. We do pioneer weekends, prayer weekends, worship weekends. I just had a call this week from our church plant in Malmo. And in September, they want to, they've asked, could we send a worship team once a month? For a year. We've already done this for Stockholm. Go out for a weekend. You enjoy their hospitality. You eat their food. You drink their beer. You help them leave worship on a Sunday morning. You come home. And then you've got a conversation to have with your mates in work on Monday morning. Where were you at the weekend? Ah. Yes. I had an interesting weekend. (laughs) You can do this. So there's that opportunity. I've got a fascinating opportunity in the summer with a church in Serbia. Where they're looking for people who can teach young people musical skills at a fairly simple level, guitar, bass guitar, drums, keyboards. You'll be uh, uh, with uh, 20 or so Serbian young people who don't go to church. You'll be preparing them to do a small music festival, and you have all the opportunity in the world to just get to know them and talk to them about Jesus. And so we're looking for a team that's quite hardcore. I've got some people who are showing some interest already in that, so you have to jump in fast if you want to be involved with that. There's uh, <clears throat> Pioneer Weekends, Frankfurt, yep, 
Uh, the summer festival, yeah, in June. They've got a summer festival, so they're doing an outreach on the streets of Frankfurt. And this is a great one because you don't need to speak German. You just need to hand out, hand out balloons and invites. That's great. And um, so that's a very, very uh, good opportunity. Mark can tell you all about that one. Helsinki are doing uh, a summer camp. We can go along and serve them, help them with their children, help them with all the practicalities, but also be part of that opportunity. There's another camp in the Netherlands. I know they're very keen for me to invite you to that. If you want to be part of a church camp in the Netherlands, just again to connect and build relationship and be with them. It's not particularly uh, a mission on that occasion, although Ron Van Vetten is there. If you know Ron, then you know you'll be on a mission at some point in the weekend because he can't, he'll, he'll, it doesn't matter where you are, you'd be at a wedding and he'll suddenly take a group of people out to go and uh, evangelize on the street somewhere. That's just the way Ron is. And then later in the autumn, we've got more in Helsinki and we've got the Pioneer Conference in Malaga. Anybody that's got pioneering on your heart, then please come to the conference in Malaga. I really, really would encourage you to come for that. Um, sign up to our Pioneer newsletter if you want to hear more about all the things that we're doing uh, in pioneering. Night Watchman, um, I'm, my uh, role in life is shifting after the summer, and whereas uh, for many, many years I've been travelling in and out just on very short visits, I'll be going out for months at a stretch, maybe for three months at a time. So at the end of this year I'll be in the Netherlands for three months, then early next year I'll be in Germany for three months, and then uh, in the middle of next year I'll be in Sweden for three months. And someone gave me a prophetic word about the fact that every time that I would go, I'd be going with uh, with Rachel, which is uh, one of the wonderful things about this shift is Rachel will be able to be with me, but they um, had a prophetic word about the fact that every time I go, I would take a night watchman with me, which is a bit of a strange word. But when I unpacked it, what it meant was to take someone with me. They could come for three months, they could come for six months, they could come for a year, an individual, a couple, a family, who could just, in a sense, jog alongside us for a season and just see what we're doing and catch up with what we're about and be involved with that. If that's something that's of interest to you, come and speak to me. I'd be thrilled to hear from you. And maybe in terms of going, I just want to, uh, to call out right now to those of you in this room. You've heard everything that has been going on. Steph has served you wonderfully. Tom, Wendy, others just softening you up <laughs> to consider the call of God on your life. Okay. Now, your young people, who knows what the next 40 years or more may hold for you. I just want to speak to people who right now know that God has made it clear to you that you are going to go in this next season of your life. You're going to go. Okay, there'll be many distressed elders in this room as I say this. All right, but you know, you just know that, that you are now, it's almost like you put one foot on a conveyor belt and you can't get off. God is taking you on a journey. It might be very soon. It might be some years down the line that you're going to go. It could be that you're going to go and be part of our church planting team in Liverpool. It could be that you'll be part of the church planting initiatives that we've got in Kent or in Norfolk. It could be that God is calling you to other nations and he's putting other nations on your heart. And there could be a season of preparation for you. I, I can't... Um, speaking to someone who struggles even to speak English, right, I can't overstate how valuable it is to have a second language. So if you know that God is calling you to another nation, then I, and it may be some years ahead where you can be investing in learning a language for that purpose. And you can be doing uh, an ID year either here or in one of these nations as a way of testing your call and preparing yourself for that. 
We can arrange that. We can make that happen for you. I do want to stress this. That doesn't mean that somehow that's more valuable than for those who here don't feel that that's what they're called to do at this time. Because I hope I've made the point that if you're called to stay, you have just as valuable a work to do. But to go takes some courage and it takes some commitment. And I just want to stand with those and pray with those when the opportunity arises. So I just want to share with you now, just as I come into close, something that actually hasn't been shared yet with the um, relational mission as a whole. The ink is still drying on the paper. And it's just really the way that we want to express our vision as a movement. So you're getting a, uh, a taster of what our future vision will look like together. This is the vision that we're going to be really investing in over the coming years. All right, we believe, this is a prophetic word that Julian Adams gave us, God has said that we can expect to achieve more in 20 years than many have in 50. All right? And we're trying to grapple with that. What does that look like? That's not to diminish or demean anything that anybody's done, but it's like God has, has made a way for us. He's cleared the path. He's cleared the ground. Some people in a generation ahead, they, their job is to clear the ground so the next generation can run. Okay? So it's not that we're better. It's just saying that we've got the opportunity. God has made the way for us that we may see in 20 years what others haven't yet seen in, uh, in 50. So we're trying to imagine what that could look like. This is what we've come up with. We're trying to imagine what could that look like over the next season. So that looks like establishing five multiplying churches in each continent of the world by 2030. Okay? We call that Global 530. Five churches in each of the continents of the world by 2030. The second strand of our vision is to stimulate a fresh wave of church planting into UK cities, towns and villages. We want to see 100 by 2040. Okay? And then planting 20 churches in each of the other 50 European nations by 2050. Right. This is the vision we're going to be working to. Now, I'm not even going to be alive to see it. <laughs> but this is what we're giving ourselves to. And this is, what, this is the journey we're calling you to join us on. Come on, folks. We're, we're not the only ones doing this. There's many, many other wonderful moves of God going on within New Frontiers, beyond New Frontiers. Okay, but we want to play our full part. And we want to say, God, we're with you on this journey. Jesus, we're with you. And this is what we are imagining it could look like over the next decades in the UK and in Europe and in the continents of the world. And uh, I want to hand this over to you. <laughs> I'm not giving up. I'm going to be running on this for years yet. But I want to hand this over to you and say, come on, folks, will you run with us? Will you run with us here in the UK, in the nations of Europe? 20 churches in each of the other 50 European nations by 2050. Impossible for me. Very possible for God. <coughs> We just need to find and disciple the right people in the nations. Yeah? I can't plant 20 churches in any nation, but I can find uh, men and women who can. And I can disciple them. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going to be doing over the mainland of Europe, in the Netherlands and in Germany and Scandinavia and the post-communist nations. Everywhere that God takes us, we're just looking to lay hold of men and women we can disciple who can do this for their own culture, for the people of their own soil. That's what we feel called to do. 
And I'm uh, inviting you and I'm appealing to you, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, whether you're called to go or to stay, that you join us in this mission together. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to pray over us. Jesus, again, we, we say again, you, you own us. Our lives are not our own. You bought us with a price. You've redeemed us. You've rescued us. You've saved us. What can we bring to you? We bring to you all we are. We bring to you all we have. Just as you laid your lives down for us, Jesus, we lay our lives down for you in devoted, glad-hearted service. And say, what a king, what a brother, what a friend. How can I serve you, Jesus? In what way can I be available to you? How can I serve your mission? How can I serve your godly ambitions in all the world? Am I to stay? Am I to go? What is it, Jesus? I'm available for anything you call me to. So, Lord, we just say, put your mark on us today. Put your seal on us today. We're yours. I just want to pray now for any that know in this coming season that God is calling them to go. And maybe you're aware that there could be a season of preparation or maybe you feel, you know, we're ready to go quite soon, actually. Whether it's to the UK or to Europe or even nations beyond. Jesus, we say, let this be such a fruitful generation for your purposes, I pray, Lord God. I pray for that, Lord. There's so many snares and entrapments. I feel it's harder to emerge as a younger person these days than when I was emerging. So many subtle entrapments from the enemy. Lord, I say, please, clear a path. You promised us. You said we'll see more in 20 than others have seen in 50. Lord, we don't take pride in that. We are grateful to you for that. Say, Lord, we'll clear a way for us that we can see much uh, where others have had to labor hard to make a way for us that we would uh, build on what they have gained and take bigger strides because they've cleared the way for us. Lord Jesus, let this generation emerge, I pray. Let them feel the weight on their shoulders of your, your easy yoke and your light burden. But let them feel the weight of it, feel the responsibility of it. Say, no, I, I feel responsible for this. I was, I was 28 years old and gunning along in my RAF career when God just arrested me and uh, took my life in a completely different direction. That's not to say that a career in the Air Force isn't important or valuable, but for me, God just said, no, I, I'm gonna, I've got other arenas in which I'm calling you to be fruitful. And he turned my life upside down. I pray, Lord, redirect some lives today. Lord Jesus. Lord, let the, the things of your heart loom large for us and the pursuits of this world let them just fall away like dry husks we're not interested we're interested in you Jesus we're interested in your kingdom we're interested in the salvation of many we're interested in your household being full of people from every tongue tribe and nation Lord Jesus we're interested in making disciples of every tongue tribe and nation raising up men and women of their own soil of their own tongue of their own language, that can take the mission of God to their own kinsfolk. 
Lord Jesus, we pray for this.